Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The following is rated MA. Some people may find it offensive. It contains language, adult themes and immature content, as well as fart jokes. There will be lots of fart jokes. Listener discretion is advised. You've been warned. It's that time of the week, the time where you get to relax for a little while and just enjoy. Enjoy listening to some of the greatest names in rugby league, footy talk, tactics, history lessons, stats, sledging and laughs, all in the one podcast. There is nothing quite like the weekly wodge. A huge week in the studio with about 50 more interviews that will be spread out over the next few months. We've hooked up with Luciano Leilua, Joel Thompson, Damian Cook, Jason Stevens, Benny Galea, Danny Baderas, Kate Ellis, Kevin Campion, Luke Lewis, Michael Witt, Pat Richards, the Sirenan boys, Dean Ritchie, Willie Peters, Sia Soliola, Brenton Bowen, Tim Grant, Josh Perry, Robbie Kearns, Tamari Martin, Tane Milne, Ryan Hoffman, Alan Tung and Jason Nightingale. And that's just the beginning. Shit's getting serious. Question, what's the greatest sound in the world? But what's better than cracking a coldie? Cracking half a dozen. This is Six Pack of Superstars revealing our top six. Six-pack time, and this is just a couple of sunny coast boys sharing a few and shooting the shit. Our topic this week is best rigs, best bodies at the Parramatta Eels. Actually, we can throw in one bad rig just for some fun. Joining us is Hooker Reed Marnie. Who looks the goods at Paramate? Fire away. Uh, it's definitely not me. Uh, I'd put myself in the, you know, not average, but just above average. Okay. You know, I'd get up. I get, I make it. Um, no, I don't. But um, George Jennings, wow, what a, what a rig he has. His is, his is unbelievable. It's just, just ripped, strong, muscles. Just he's got a ripping body. Uh, oh, Georgie, he's got a good rig. Um, yeah, I think it runs in the family. Big uh, Michael had a good rig. Yep. So the the two the two Jennings boys had good rigs. Um, who else is good? Oh, Dill Dill Brown has a good rig. He's um. Just as lean as they are, six pack, oh, um, no. chest, chest, arms, little veins popping out of his arms. He's just he's just natural. I think he's a natural, just crazy. He's got a good rig. Yeah. Um, trying to think who else. Um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too many more. I don't think. Um, you haven't mentioned Ryan Madison yet. Uh, he, he he's oh, got he's got some yeah, yeah he's got fuck some Warwick yeah. Farms on him, mate. That bloke is unbelievable. He's going to be one of those like um, bodybuilder people when he retires, I swear. Mate, he's just – it's actually – we're talking about today, uh, a training of just his physique. It's just unbelievable. But uh, credit to him, he's, he's very dedicated to yep. what he eats and how he trains. And 
Um, and mate, stuff he's like that, a but. big kid too. Like I reckon Ryan Madison's one of those blokes that the fans probably don't realise just how big he is until you see him walking in or leaving yeah. a game, and you go, "Holy yeah. fuck! Look at the, you!" The the, uh, the whippersnippers on him are fucking unbelievable. Yes, he hasn't got a he hasn't got a bit of fat on him. And he's just lean and his arms, I swear to God, are as big as my legs. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's, he's got a good rig. I, I, Gutho's got a good rig. Okay. He's got a pretty good rig, the Guff. Okay. Um, so th- there's our five and now's the is good. Is that our five? Is that five? Yeah. That's our five. So now it's the good part. Now it's the time to expose the bloke with the worst one. And you can include the coach in here if you would like and if you're brave enough. Mm. No, I'm not going to say Brad. I think Brad looks up. Brad's in the gym, buddy, three times a day. He looks after himself. He just He's a pretty lean pit fella. Um, who has the worst, Rick? I've got a couple boys in Maine. Okay. I think uh, Reggie has a pretty sloppy one. Okay. Regan Campbell. <laughs> Regan Campbell Gillard. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brownie, no. Brownie's is good, but it's just... Mitchell, I don't know. Uh, halfback's supposed to have six packs. I don't know. Mitch doesn't have one of. Mitch doesn't have one of those. We get a three-way tie for worst rig: Regan Campbell, Gillard, Nathan Brown, and Mitch Moses. But the raps go to Clint Gutherson, <laughs> Ryan Madison, Dylan Brown, Michael Jennings, George Jennings, Reed Marnie. What a wonderful insight! Duck for cover at training because there's three blokes aiming for you. <laughs> That is outrageous. Paul Regan Campbell-Gillard has been called a dog's body by his little hooker. I reckon he'd be pissed at that. Might as well find out because Big RCG has dropped in for the right of reply. Your little hooker giving it to you, mate. No good. No good. No. Uh, dog's body. It's a bit, that's a bit rough. It is a um, bit rough. I will, I will admit it's not the best rig, but... Um, you know, when you're surrounded by, um, you know, Maddo, uh, the Jennings, Gutho, Mitch, um, everyone that pretty much takes pride in their in their body. Actually, Mitch, Mitch for a halfback shouldn't. Um, his rig's pretty. That's pretty dog shit. So yeah, pretty sloppy. <laughs> um, I think again, Reed said maybe the same. If you had to describe your hooker's rig, how would you? Reed, short and fat. I love a little, get squared. I, I think it was, uh, I'd, I'd probably maybe a short, fat chode um, <laughs> with warts all over it. So yes. that's how I'd describe Reed. That's how, that's how I'd describe it. Short, fat little chode with warts. A good little stink to start our six-pack of superstars, a series we're going to continue and expand on because, let's face it, who doesn't love them? A six-pack lists the best. No right, no wrong, just an opinion, and we're going to share the opinions of some of the game's finest on a range of topics, both serious and obscure. I'm going to join in the fun and give you my thoughts on various top sixes too. It's a great argument starter. If you're after a social media rugby league fix without any agendas, check out my mate Clarky on Instagram and Facebook at Clarky's RL Column. There's news, topics, debates, and a couple of hundred thousand other league tragics as well. Awesome sites where all proceeds go to Clarky's Charities of Choice. 
You're listening to Andy Raymond Unfiltered. Want to be part of the team? We have both corporate and private sponsorship packages available. You set the terms. Check out the website at andyraymondunfiltered.com.au or send an email to Terry. That's with an I at andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. This is the Weekly Watch on Andy Raymond Unfiltered and it's feature interview time. We're all getting old and cranky. It's shit, but it happens. Our guest doesn't look that old, but he's been cranky for years. Dave Ferner, you turned 50 this weekend, so we're going to reflect a little. Mate, you spent most of your junior years as a rugby union player, played for Australia in, I think, the 17s and 21s. Fond memories? Uh, yeah, there was. It was. Um, I actually went to a school there in Canberra, there, St Edmunds College. And uh, I, was, I was playing league at the time, so obviously juniors. I started when I was, you know, seven years of age. Went to a uh, Christian brother school there that were that they were a, a renowned rugby union school. Yep. So I actually the first couple of years whilst I was there, I went in there in year six. I played um, both league and union, but it just got to the point there for my parents there it was just too much. So I had to um, obviously choose uh, union there, being at the school there. But it was something there, to be honest, mate. It was, it was a really good. There's a lot, a lot of uh, of the rugby union I learnt to uh, to take the rugby league later on in my career. Obviously, goal kicking was one of them. Yeah. But it was, uh, I was fortunate enough to um, get a scholarship to the OAS. I learnt a lot about um, being professional before I switched back over to rugby league. That's really interesting. What position at Union did you specialise in? <laughs> it's going to shock you, mate. But I was a um, and back then you had a bit of a moulay, but I was a moulay running fullback. Is that right? Number fifteen. <laughs> I was, mate. I was, uh, uh, but I loved it because it, it was a real good bond. Of, uh, you know, that, that look the yeah. You know, back then it was it was big rugby. You know, obviously Huge. rugby union in the schools. It still is uh, in the private schools, but. I really enjoyed it because it was all my my classmates. Um, you you were you were together during the week and then playing on weekends. So it was a really good uh, good time in my life and uh, really enjoyed it. You moved to the Raiders system in the early nineties. Why rugby league? Why now? Was it the family tradition? Was it the challenge? Or, in all honesty, was it the opportunity at some dollars? I think it was first and foremost easy to, for me to make that decision. I always wanted to go back to rugby league. Um, I, I actually had two years out of school. So when I was 18, 19, I was playing uh, first grade for, for Queenie and Whites, which yep. was rugby union. Now, that played on a field which was uh, called Campese Oval. Right next to that was the original Raiders Oval was Seaford Oval. Yeah, that's it. So if you can imagine uh, on some of those cold days there when I was playing fullback, and if you remember back then, Rugby Union used to have uh, pockets in their shorts. You know, <laughs> I'd be sitting back there and waiting to get the ball. Um, and I obviously loved running the ball, but not always did you get it. Yeah. Um, but right beside you, as I said, was Seaford Oval. Now, there's times where the Rugby Union and obviously the Raiders clashed, and and all I could hear was the crowd over at Seaford Oval. Yeah. So your mind uh, wanders a little bit. So I wanted to, look, I really enjoyed my time there, but I, I really wanted to test myself and go back to rugby league. 
you debuted round two, 1992. It was against Manly. You immediately had an impact in first grade. Now, this was a really tough time for the Raiders. It followed the salary cap breaches and sanctions, and the club had lost some real quality players over the course of, you know, three or four months. Well, there was a, there was a couple of opportunities there, but I was actually bought, uh, like uh, Tim bought me as a replacement uh, 5'8". So, so yeah, so I, I actually, it was quite a funny journey for me just, be, you know, like before I had that, um, uh, you know, that debut game. Now I debuted at number 13, so I was in the pack. But those first couple of years there, in, you know, I was playing under 21s. So I was playing in the centres and sometimes 5'8". Yeah. I actually... I actually remember coming on, I think it was a trial game, if I can remember it. I actually come on and played a first grade game, uh, you know, like come on at fullback. Now, I've said this to many people, not well. So <laughs> I, I obviously, for me, it was like a real opening, uh, an eye opener there of the speed that I was up against. So, you know, in, in the at the club at the time coming through was, you know, guys like, you know, Brett Mullins, you know, Jason Croker who started on the wing. Yeah. But someone like Mullows, it was just blistering speed. Yeah. So I learned pretty quickly that I wasn't a centre. So I got an opportunity, pushed into uh, the back row, 13, and that's where I made my debut. Let's fast forward to 1994. Such a great year for you, for the Raiders, a premiership year. This team, wow. Brett Mullins, Ken Nagus, Mal Meninga, Ruben Wiki, Noah Nudruku, Laurie Daly, Ricky Stewart, the forward pack, Quentin Pongia, Steve Walters, Paul Osborne in the grand final. You're in the second row with Jason Croker, and the great Bradley Clyde was the lock. Now, that's a lineup that challenges any team, any era. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I would. Um, obviously, the, the, yeah, as you know, as a, the, the game's gotten faster, but you, know, you, you can adapt to that. But it was a really good blend. So you, you, you mentioned uh, about. Uh, the salary cap breaches and those sort of things or whatever it was at that time. But it gave opportunities to the younger players, the Kenny Nagas, the Ruben Wickies, uh, Jason Croker, myself, Brett Mullins, uh, Brett Hevington, uh, you know, like an opportunity there. But we were very lucky. And I always say this, it was a, pl- a privilege to play with the players, the likes of Mal Meninga, mm. uh, Laurie Daly, uh, Steve Walters, Ricky Stewart, uh, Bradley Clyde, um, early on in the time there, there was obviously Gary Belcher. There, there was a, a winning group there. And when you have a look at what those players have done in the game, for a young generation to come through there was, I say that, a privilege and, and, and gave uh, great guidance of, uh, from, from, from the senior players. So we had a really good blend of youth and experience in that. And, and our, our, our experienced players were probably – still then were probably the, the, the best players in their position. Some wonderful talent across the team and some absolute superstars of the game. Then there's Mal Meninga, who was a level above and still is in, in many people's eyes. Was it daunting playing with a guy like Mal Meninga or not? Um, look, it was... It, you know, like a, a lot of uh, players that that played in that grand final, they they from the you know they'd watched Mal and what he'd done in his career, and then just to be like I, you know, obviously my first year at the Raiders was '91, so before you know we come to that '94 uh, 
that uh, that period. Now, Mal was just such an icon and such a great you know great yeah. player. But it, the thing for me was more about his leadership, and you know he didn't have to say much there. You knew if you made a mistake on the field, yeah, because <laughs> all the big fella <laughs> had to do was have a look at you, and you knew straight away that you've made a mistake. So, again, I say it was a privilege to see how he one handled himself off the field, yep. and also the way he's uh, he, how competitive he was on the field. Fernsey, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're one in a very unique club that actually played for their country before playing for their state. Is that right? I was. Um, got selected after the 94 year to, to to go on a kangaroo tour, and it was, I think it was, uh, when I say it's, it's a making of a player there to be able to go away with, like you, you've only got to have a look, not only the players there from the Raiders, but from the other clubs. The experienced players were there um, in all positions, so... I was lucky enough to uh, to be selected on that tour, so it was a it was a great tour. It made me a better player. It made me uh, uh, understand the game more, and obviously how professional you got to be to 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 get to that level. So, um, and it wasn't until '96, uh, Andy, that uh, that I actually uh, first debuted or represented New South Wales. The record before that. Rotten bastard Cameron Smith came along anyway. You were the highest point scoring forward in the history of the game. That is an outstanding achievement with history as the gauge here, almost 100 years of football, and you're sitting on top of of that ladder. You're proud of that? Yeah, I, I, I am, um, Andy. I, I look at – you don't think about those things when you play. You yep. think about just making first grade. You think about – Staying in first grade, and then when you get some opportunities there to have you know play in representative games and representative teams, I think you you sort of mainly look back when you've actually retired. Yep. But I'll just tell you on that um, the thing that made it special that I think it was about forty years that um, the person that that I uh, that I had taken over on that point scoring was was a person uh, by the name of Bernie Purcell. Yes. The special thing about that was he toured with my father in 1956. That so is very cool. It was special. He actually uh, he come down from Sydney to present the ball, and it was a. I've always loved the history of the game, and that yeah. was a special moment for me. So, yes, it was great to to, to be you know to achieve that. But just the fact that 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 Bernie played with uh, my father, yeah. he, he come and represent, he, he come and presented me the uh, the game ball when I broke the record. They're the memories there that, that that are special to me. 200 games for your beloved Canberra Raiders. How proud are you now that you can look back and say, I'm a one-club man? Because not many can. Uh, very. I, obviously, the family's been involved. You know, Dad was the, the inaugural coach here in 82. I even go back to uh, being ball boy. Um, also, when I got a bit older, obviously, I was, when, I got, when I got to about 15, I was too old to be ball boy. So... <laughs> So I actually used to do, and it was, uh, mate, back then it was about $20, $20 a game. I used to do the stats for, and I'm pretty sure it was a Telegraph. So I'd sit up in the stand there and count. I'd do the stats for the yeah. for the team. Now, you know, like I, it was a funny time too because when you used to go back in, the players would look at their stats on the Monday. When, they, when, when I'd run into them again, they'd be saying, mate, I made more tackles than that. I didn't miss those tackles. And I was 15. I was thinking, hell, you know, what about this? But I've had an association with a club there that I'm still proud that um, I was able to, one, play play uh, 200 games and also coach. So uh, very special, Andy. 
Happy birthday, mate. Have a great day. Fiddler's gone after it. Then he scoops the ball away to Byrne. Byrne puts on a fend. Then he puts on a sprint. Sadler is chasing. Sadler is leading. The tackle of the day. What a tackle by Scott Sadler. That's one of the greatest tackles you will ever see in any game. Unbelievable. What the pick-up by Fiddler. A flying winger. And only one man... One man standing between the try line, a try to the Roosters, and it's Scott Sattler. It's one of those moments. You look back now, you're proud of it? I'm proud of it, not because I thought it was a big moment in the game, because still to this day I don't think it was, because, um, and I'll tell you why. Wow. Special to me individually because it was my last game for Penrith. Yeah. And from a friend's point of view, I love going out to Penrith and, and still being welcomed out there. Yep. Um, and whether it's because of that, um, I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to live with that. It was special for me because people were talking about it after the game and that my father got a, had an iconic moment in the grand final. Yeah. People still talk about our one in 03 or my one in 03. So to have a father-son, so that's a selfish view of it. Beautiful, yeah. Um, from a team point of view, John Lang's first meeting with me in the pre-season of 2002 he met with me, AJ, and he said, as a lock forward, I want you to play old school. I want you to play Ron Coote um, style. And what I want Covered you to do fence. is if the ball is on the other side of the ruck that play the ball on tackle five yep. and you're on the other side of the field, he said, I just want you to – because you used to give me a roving. when The number 13s now, they play in the middle. They're like a yep. third sort of front row. Exactly right. So I was allowed to roam all around the field. So on this – at this time, I was on the opposite side of the field. He said, on the fifth tackle when the kick's going to go, I just want you to start heading in behind. He used to always say, just in case you needed. Wow. So from every training session from that moment on to that last game that I played at Penrith, I did that every day and every game. And it was the last game that I played that it was, that it was needed. So for me, it wasn't That's a big cool. thing because Johnny Lang had prepared me for it. People say that it was a... It was a huge turning point in the game. I still don't think it was. Scotty Sattler, that's next on the Legends series. We hope you enjoyed the last Legends interview. Mike Cleary, a three-part series where he took us inside the Kangaroo Tour of 1963 with a ripping yarn. But I'll never forget the day they sent me. To, I was a dirty for this particular day, so I owned the car. So they said, you will go down and do the washing. Oh, Okay. They've got 24 jumpers down the laundromat outside Euclid, halfway down. I've got the car. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep this clean for you. But the girl in the laundromat, she's had a good head. She should have been a nail. <laughs> but she's a big lady. And I'm watching the tub go around, spin, spin, spin. And she said, um, Would you like a cup of tea? I said, Oh, yeah, I'll have a cup of tea. Upstairs for a cup of tea. She said, Would you like a cuddle? I said, Yeah, I'll have a cuddle. Any case, when we came down, she ironed all the jumpers and everything like that, made it all nice and clean and way back. As soon as I got back, the rotten bugger said to me, you're going back again. I said, what for? They said, this is the first time we've ever had the jumpers ironed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I finished up. I finished up to go back next week and <laughs> get the jumpers all washed again. But those days you had to do your own washing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. At a day, they, they don't even wash a thing. They, they've no. got they've got their training gear. They don't even have to buy a pair of shoes or a pair of boots. It's, it's all supplied. Times are changing, aren't they? Oh yeah, but you know, ours were good times. But we we had good times. 
Want to know what's coming up on the podcast? Well, stalk us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at The Andy Raymond. Share the love and share the posts. Okay, half back on one side of the ruck, he wants the ball. Five-eighth on the other side of the ruck, he wants the ball. They're both carrying on and screaming their tits off. Who gets it? Damien Cook has dropped in. Mate, who wins the argument, Adam Reynolds or Cody Walker? Mate, they're, they're two of the worst too. We've got an angry man on one side and a silk on the other. So, um, And they're both both very dominant players when yeah. they want the ball. Um, uh, Reno, Reno will tell you that... Uh, I pass to to Cody more, and I go a lot. I go to him a lot more. Um, so, but it's not. We've actually checked the stats, and it's very quite even. If not, Adam Adam gets the ball a bit more. So, um, look, it's uh, it's very hard, but it depends uh, what tackle it is these days. I think you know, if it, late in the tackle count, uh, I'm probably uh, unless it's we're looking down short sides. Uh, with Cody, I'm going to take that, but. Um, yeah, later in the tackle count, more likely I think Renault's going to get it because you know he's probably the, uh, the the better kicker out of the two. Uh, I think Cody will agree with that. Uh, so I, I think that's where it happened. But early in uh, early in the tackle count, uh, anywhere on the field, Cody normally I wouldn't say runs the attack, but um, you know he's, he does uh, you know does organise a bit of the shape and allows Renault to work over with the forwards in the middle of the field. So. Uh, it's, it's 50-50 and you know what, mate, I'm, I'm in trouble whichever way I go. So I was just going to say I, that. If, if they're both calling and it's up to you to make the decision, who cops the blame from, from Wayne Bennett? Is, is it always the hooker's fault for going the wrong way? Well, it depends who's got to Wayne first. to can whinge about me. <laughs> <laughs> whoever, wins, whoever wins the race to Wayne say, oh, Damo, Cookie's not giving me the ball. Um, I don't know, but... Wayne's, Wayne's into me. Um, I don't know if Wayne's ever been a fan of uh, hookers or not. So uh, he's always loved his halfbacks, and I blame Alfie Langer for that. So, um, but you know, I think he, he, he does tell me, Wayne, uh, you know, if they do call the ball, uh, to just um, obviously give it to him straight away. Don't run, don't do anything else, just give it to him straight away. Uh, probably a big part of it is I probably just have to. Uh, I have to look up, make sure I'm looking up and uh, know where Latrell is. That's important uh, and a number as well. So if I can have enough time to count the short side and uh, know what numbers we've got, it's, it's an easy decision. The other guy's just going to have to put up with it um, and he'll just have a sook to me later, I think. Awesome insight. Thanks, Cookie. Chat soon. No worries. Cheers, mate. Want to win an unfiltered trucker's hat? Go to Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening and subscribe to the podcast. Then simply give us a five-star rating and review. Write whatever you want. We don't care. It's the stars that matter. Funniest weekly review wins the prize. Simple. That's how easy it is. This week's winner of the Unfiltered Trucker's Hat is Daz, 1967, 1967, 1967. Get in touch, legend. We'll send a hat out your way. Thank you also to the others that sent their reviews. Eel Boy, Matt from Ranwick, Braveheart, Billy, Dragon Ando, Roddy Fitz, Paddy L, Jack Me Off, and the rest. A big week in footy headlines. The Israel Folau controversy dominated Payne Haas in court too. There was Cameron McGuinness and the list goes on and on. You can listen to the news and opinions of others on those off-field topics elsewhere. Here, we're about a relaxed and enjoyable footy chat and allowing you in on some of the conversations with the greatest players in the greatest game of all. 
We hope you have a wonderful week, Legends. Have a coldie for me. I'll have one for you. And don't forget to back Pikey in the last. <laughs>